Anecdotes for success. Level up with truth, meaning, trade-offs, perspective. Today we have our guest, Carrie Ann Golliver on, the franchise matchmaker. Uh, and it's customary to what we do every week. Carrie Ann, why don't you, you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background before Matt starts asking all the questions like always. Okay, well, I'll try to keep it short and sweet, but we all have our stories, right? Sure. So, um, you know, I used to, um, I come from a sales and marketing background, um, and it's kind of interesting. I was actually getting my hair done the other day, and I was on a call with a new candidate, and my hairdresser, she's new to me, um, so, you know, it takes people a while to kind of, yeah, I'm a lot, right? And so then I end the call and she's like, my goodness, how many business degrees do you have? And I said, zero. And she's like, get out. And I said, no. And so I'll share that story. Um, I've always gone against the grain. Um, I, you know, just the normal just never really kind of flowed with me. And so... Um, I did go to college and I lasted about a semester and um, I promptly told my parents, you are wasting your money. I'm not going back. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm smarter than all my professors. Don't waste your money. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And so that's really where my story begins. And, and I worked with quite a few startup companies and I loved the vibe of startup companies, like you're creating something from scratch, it's a baby, you're building it, you're nurturing it, and then poof, you, you know, kind of let that little chicken out to the world and hope it survives. Um, and I loved that environment. Um, but the thing that I didn't love about it was there was always some Yahoo that would screw things up, right? They would spend too much money or they would sleep with the secretary. And then all mayhem got, got lost. And so, you know, I mean, I was working actually for a business broker, which is a very different role, right, than what I am because I only work in franchising. And there was this business broker who brokers businesses for sale, right? Local mom and pop businesses. And I convinced him that he needed to really put me in his business for the purpose of helping get more business because maybe the people that were coming to him were not interested in the only, you know, uh, ski cafe up in the mountains that he had, or, you know, cause they're limited to only what they have for sale. And I, I like knocked it out of the ballpark until one day I went to work, went to the office, unlocked the doors, turned on the lights, and there was this note sitting on my desk and it was kind of this cryptic note that said, you know, don't do anything until you call me. And I called him and I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, well, yeah, I've kind of, um, I've, I've left the state. Um, I've got the IRS after me because I owe like $800,000 in taxes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is the matter with people, right? So I kept having these starts and then stops, starts and then stops. And it was frustrating. So really honestly, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but this is, you know, this is my story, it's the truth, right? Like I can't make this up. So 
you know, was having dinner at my sister's house, drinking some good wine, you know, having some good food. We're all sitting around talking about what we wanted to do when we grew up. And my brother-in-law was in the restaurant arena. Like he worked for um, Chart House. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chart House restaurants. Um, and, you know, in the restaurant business, let's face it, that's, I mean, you know, that's not a subway business, right, Matt? That, that is like, that is brutal. It's like 90 hours a week, every holiday, every evening, every weekend. Exactly. And he was kind of in a transition because my sister wanted to start, you know, having children and, you know, she needed her spouse to participate in that. And so basically he's like, I know, um, we should start a swamp cooling repair and maintenance business. And I was like, okay, this guy's had too much red wine. Cut him off. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? So I don't know, you know, if the audience or you guys are familiar with swamp coolers, they're considered the air, the, the poor man's air conditioning unit. Um, and they drive a lot of moisture in the air and they're on the top rooftops of dwellings. Um, sort of kind of like an fan, but not, but, but much cheaper than an air conditioning unit. Obviously being in Colorado, um, any kind of moisture is a blessing and welcomed here in our dry climate. And he had been working at a bar and restaurant downtown Denver um, before he got let go that had several swamp coolers. The house that they lived in at that time where we were frolicking around and drinking wine and eating salami you know, had a, a swamp cooler on it. And he's like, yeah, I mean, like, that's what I do. I fix and repair. And I know we can call our, uh, I'm going to call myself Swamp Boy, right? And, and but then the more we talked about this, the more we thought, well, why not, right? And literally the following Monday, we put an ad in the paper, Swamp Boy, Swamp Cooler Repair and Fix It. And the phone started ringing and we were like, what, <laughs> what, what, like what's going on? And so, so I was answering the phone and scheduling my brother-in-law and he's a very charismatic individual. So he had my sister make this uh, uniform and embroidered swamp boy on it, literally. Um, he always showed up on time. He was neatly dressed in this cute little professional outfit. And he was quite handy. And, and so we did this for a number of months and he would come back to the basement because we literally were running this business out of the basement of their house. And he'd go, gosh, Carrie Ann, I don't know what's going on. Like people want me to stay and do some carpentry and fix the door and check on the plumbing. And like, what's going on? Like, why isn't anybody getting this service taken care of? And it just kept happening and happening and happening. And so we literally one day, and again, this is like nine, late 90s, 97, somewhere around in there, 98. We called, you know, 300 and some odd people in the phone book. You know, nobody has a phone book anymore, right? Uh, if they do, they're using it as a doorstop. But we used to rely on the yellow pages and the white pages. We literally called hundreds of people and said, do you have a handyman service? Would you like to have a handyman service? What kinds of things do you want this handyman service to do for you? And what are you willing to pay for that? And we collected all this data and we listened to what our community said they needed and wanted. 
And we said, well, crap, we can't be Swamp Boy anymore. We got to be a handyman business. So we created a handyman business <laughs> in the basement. And so we had to hire more people because my brother-in-law is only one guy, right? And so we they lived in a cul-de-sac area and we had people coming and going and coming in for interviews and in their basement, we had um, a, a powder room bath um, and it did have a shower. And so one of the things that we used that bathroom was for a test, right? We would break a few things because it encompassed carpentry, drywall, plumbing, electrical, right? We'd break a few things. Okay, here's part of the test. Go fix what's broken in the bathroom, right? Because my sister and I like, well, I don't know. We don't, I mean, Andy is going out there and doing all these jobs. We don't know. We're not handy. And um, then we would say, hey, and by the way, we're going to run a background check. Is that okay? And it was surprising how many times they'd look you right in the eyeball. Sure, no problem. And then, oh my gosh, we'd get like a block long of felony list. It was crazy time, right? And the crazy thing was, is nobody else cared if we were successful. I mean, our accountant didn't care. Our attorney didn't. I mean, nobody cared, right? And then pretty soon we got a knock on the door from the sheriff. And he said, look, I don't know what's going on here, but your neighbors are complaining. You got cars coming and going. You got, you know, all this stuff in your driveway. Like, And he's like, your business is just too big. You're going to have to take it out of the neighborhood, right? Good problem to have. So we found an office. It was nothing fancy. It was an industrial part of town. I mean, it literally had a garage door we rolled up at the beginning of the day, rolled down. And um, we just kept expanding. And so people that used to work with my brother-in-law at the restaurant slash bar were like, what do you got going on? We're getting burned out. We don't like this. So we were like, wow, okay. Well, Mark, you live in Boulder, Colorado, so we're going to create a territory for you. We're going to tell you everything we did. Now you go find some craftsmen and call us if you have any questions or problems. And then we kept doing that over and over in Colorado. Then somebody came to us and said, gosh, you guys should really think about franchising your business. And we're like, what's that about, right? So we learned all about that. And we thought, well, by golly, that's pretty cool, right? Like we could take our basement business and like grow it and help other people happily escape corporate America, be proud to be an employer of their community, build an asset, a legacy business. I mean, this is gonna be amazing. So then we franchised our business in the latter part of 2001. And we were the top rated national handyman franchise for a couple decades. And just a few short years ago, um, Ace Hardware acquired us. Amazing. So, it was a very magical, bumpy ride, right? But I learned a lot and, you know, don't have an MBA, you know, don't have a business degree, uh, only from the hard school of Knox, right? And um, we were wildly successful. I mean, it was amazing. We didn't even think uh, it was going to go that direction. What I realized, uh, being a franchisor, is there's so many people out there that are really um inclined to think about wow franchising that's pretty cool like let's look at that and then they google you know hottest franchise to buy right or they ask their friends and family hey what franchise should i buy and then they end up possibly having a disaster because they didn't do proper due diligence and they're just choosing what they think is is the right thing to do um you know people that we sold our handyman franchise to 
are we're not handing in. We, we learned that lesson with our very first franchisee in Texas, who was spending way too much time out in the field and not running the business. So we were looking for heads-on, not hands-on individuals. And so in 2000 and, and I think it was 2014, I said, you know, I need to start a consulting business where I can be a matchmaker and work with the willing who have an interest in exploring franchising as an opportunity, whether it's a side hustle to incrementally increase their wealth without having to be a slave to the business and mitigate their risk by keeping their day job today at the same time, or people that are investors that are serial entrepreneurs like Matt, who just want more, 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 right? So I put together and really mastered this process that allows me to really help navigate the franchise waters with individuals that are willing and capable um, and take them on a journey of education. And uh, really, it really starts with the self-discovery of, you know, why do you even want to own a business? Because my gosh, it is not rainbows and unicorns every day. <laughs> it's not, you know, for the lighthearted. It's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot. And, uh, and then really determining, okay, if franchising is a possible path, you know, what are your strengths? What, what are the characteristics? What does your dream wish uh, look like for an ideal business opportunity that would justify you doing some proper due diligence because nobody has time to waste? Um, and then we match them up to a number of different franchises to uh, compare and contrast because it should never be a one and done scenario and, and really help them understand how to conduct a proper due diligence due diligence on this type of investment. So we do get them literally registered into the front of the line of some of the fastest growing franchises in America. And then we're with them throughout that entire journey, which is typically you know, 90 days. Mm. And my services are free, right? So 22 years of small business and franchising experience, my services are completely complimentary. The franchise companies from all my success and, you know, franchising is a small world, right? We all kind of know each other. Um, they love to use me as a recruiter to bring them highly qualified candidates that have the right skill sets that are just in their DNA makeup um, that can afford their opportunity that are in markets that they're looking to expand. So it's a win-win for the franchisor because I'm going to bring them these people delivered on a silver platter who they probably would never find on their own. And it's a win for the franchise seeker because they're going to eventually have confidence and their eyes wide open before they make any decisions or spend any money. So the franchisor is the one who pays you. If they get approved and they move forward with the purchase of the franchise, then yes, the franchisor pays me a finder's fee for bringing this. Right. And, um, yeah. So it comes from the franchisor. They happily pay me. I am a top performer. Um, and you know, that's the only way I get compensated. So I have a lot of skin in the game to be a very yeah. active listener. And I meet with personally face to face with my franchisors, uh, twice a year. So well, I, I really understand their business, who their ideal candidate is, what the challenges are, you know, how they've overcome COVID, all of that. Yeah, well, you've got a really interesting and, and, and amazing story with a lot of ups and downs, like 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 you were kind of saying, like and 
every every business, every entrepreneur. I mean, it's a bumpy road, right? It's 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 full of full of the 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 ups and downs you mentioned, and and frankly, I don't think without them you'd have nearly the gratification. So, um, you know, I, I love the ups and downs. Maybe not the downs as much in the moment, but <laughs> look, looking back, they're they're so valuable. But yeah, um, man, I, I of course have a lot of questions like Paul Paul reference, but the the first one that comes to mind is you. There's a sign right behind you that says "Remember your why." So. What's your why in this? And then on top of that, how do you use that when you're when you're dealing with candidates here? I mean, that's clearly has some importance to you or wouldn't be sitting right behind you to see all the time. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can't identify your why, you're not going to get anywhere, right? I mean, so, you know, I have a lot of free downloadable digital assets that I created that are, that are on my website. And one of them in particular talks about, you know, find your rich and your perfect franchise. Now, defining, so when I talk to people about, you know, they're like, oh, my boss, Matt, I hate him. He grates on my nerves. He's so demanding. He doesn't pay me my worth. You know, I got to get away from him. Like, that's their pain point. So we have to figure out, you know, okay, well, if you move away from Matt, you know, how is that going to impact your life? Well, then I'm going to have financial freedom. Okay, well, what does financial freedom mean to you? Because being rich doesn't necessarily mean all these zeros in your bank account. I mean, if we went and walked up to six or seven different people on the street and said, hey, you know, you want to be rich? I mean, I'm sure they're all going to say yes, but their definition of rich is going to be different. Maybe rich to someone is I finally get to participate on a family vacation with my family because I haven't done that in 12 years, right? Um, or I get to sleep in my own bed. I don't have to be a road warrior anymore. Or I get to go to my son's soccer games. Um, so really um, identifying why this is attractive to you. It's, it's really the mission statement, their conviction. It's going to drive them through the process. Um, and really identifying why you're doing what you're doing so that you have, you can create that path to get to where you want to go. So when I work with people, I have them focus on, and they have to come to our appointment on Zoom and share their why with me. And if it's not convincing enough or the pain isn't strong enough, I will not work with them because they're not going to go anywhere. Right. And I don't have time to waste. I only get compensated based on results. They don't have time to waste because they need to rewind the tape and go back to why, 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 why do you do anything that you do and why do you want the life that you want to live? Carrie Ann, it's, it's so apropos. Paul and I met what three hours ago with an entrepreneurship club in a local community college near where we live. And we were meeting with a few different, um, students who, who have entrepreneurial business ideas. And the first one, I'm sure Paul's thinking of this as well, I was asked a question about her, what, what she was trying to do. And I said, look, what you've got to, what you've got to understand, what you've got to figure out, like, like any of us do who want to get into this business and, and create your own business and be an entrepreneur is, what are you really here for? And it's, it's not because I want to succeed or because I want to be rich or because I want money. That those, those aren't the real reasons. The, 
There's, what there's are the so cocktail answers, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're not the real reasons. Right. There's another reason there. And then we talked to another another student, and she was talking about like, well, she wants to help people in this fashion, and that. And I go, that's the why I'm talking about. It's the helping in her particular case. Yeah. But the the whole. You're, I'm so glad you're mentioning it because so many young or new entrepreneurs. They don't have to be young, but new. They're not quite don't quite understand what they're really trying to do. And it's uncovering that, that I find so difficult for people to do. So the fact that you put such an emphasis on that, I, I admire. I think you're, you're getting to the point right away is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, there's, we don't have time to waste, right? And so we need to figure out why, and then we need to create that and find that right franchise investment vehicle. Because I tell people, look, a franchise investment is just like any other investment vehicle, just like stocks, bonds, just like real estate. Only this investment, you're gonna have much greater control than you ever would in the stock market. And in many cases, a much higher ROI. And the role of the, the investment, the franchise investment, it's a vehicle. It's gonna drive your life to where you wanna go. Yeah. Um, I'll answer, ask one more question then, Paul. I know I'll, I'll let you jump in, but why do you focus on um, fr why franchises? What 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 makes why why those? Is it because that's your expertise, or do you believe in them in a different way? You know, how come franchises specifically? Well, I think it's um, you know, I mean, what the IFA touts, you know, International Franchise Association that tracks everything franchise related really has had a stat out there forever that says 90% of franchise businesses are successful for 10 plus years. Non-franchise businesses almost never make it to their fifth year anniversary because they are spending so much time, money, and energy convincing and educating the community why they need their product or service and how they're solving their problem. Where the franchise, you get to leverage that. It's already done for you, right? A franchise is a business in a box. It's a plug and play model. It helps mitigate your risk. I mean, we started a business from the basement and franchised it. It costs a hundred grand to franchise a business. And then you have to be a babysitter and you have to babysit all your franchisees because there will be some, just like we had, that that we're diverting royalties and stealing from us, which is a felony, by the way, right? And, and all this nonsense, right? But I think it's uh, great for people who don't have the vision, you aren't going to have, you know, a bottle of wine and go, oh, I need to do this, right? And then actually make it happen. People who want to take somebody else's vision, so the entrepreneurial light instead of the entrepreneur, maybe. Someone who... It wants speed to market and wants to just focus on executing because, you know, I work with, I mean, the sweet spot of people I work with are between the age of 52 and 67. Now, having said that, I do work with younger people. I've worked with mid-30s, lots of 40s, but that sweet spot of people are like, I basically have been renting my time and talent to build wealth for ABC company that really doesn't give a crap about me, right? Yep. That will and can get rid of me in a heartbeat. And I think that I could do a better job running a business than they do. And I want to take back control. Um, and they can do that very easily and quickly with a franchise and create true wealth versus 
okay, what's, what am I going to call my business? What is the problem I'm going to solve? And do all this testing and iron out all the wrinkles. That's all done for you when you buy a franchise. You just got to find the right match. Awesome answer. Go ahead, Paul. I, that, fantastic. No, this has been great. Uh, Carrie Ann, you've said several times already, you don't have time to waste. I mean, I'm, I don't know if that was the exact phrase, but you, <laughs> you, you've lived that since college when you decided you don't have time to waste. Yeah. And I teach uh, seniors that I, that I select from eight different school districts and their plan, a lot of it's because they've been told all their life and a lot of it's because their parents tell them you have to go to college for four years. And I feel like not, that's not a waste of time if they for certain professions and certain explorations and certain learners, but there's an efficient way to do it. I think to just go and not explore anything else is the ultimate waste of time for four years. Uh, what, what advice you you've lived it and done it. I'm not yeah. going to ask you the generic question of, would you do anything different? Because, uh, you probably wouldn't, your story is your story. Uh, but what advice would you give seniors going into college or, or potentially not? I mean, you know, for me, again, going against the grain, like, yeah, my sister went to college. She did. I mean, she never got in trouble. She never snuck out of the house. She never had a drop of alcohol. Right. She and and I was like, my parents were always like, why can't you be like your sister? It's like, because I'm not like my sister, because we're two different humans, right? We're total opposites. I say, follow your heart. Your heart and your intuition and your gut are never, ever going to lead you the wrong way. I knew that going to college was not going to be for me. I, I, I didn't fit into that environment. I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, just... I, I don't do well with being told where to go and who to be um, and how to dress. I mean, I'm just me. And so I think, you know, if you really feel like, you know, you want to waste your parents' money and go and be unhappy, you really should say, look, I don't really, I mean, I, my nephew is so they're, you know, college bound now. Back then, they were a thought in my sister's mind when we, we started in the basement days. In fact, one of my nephews is graduating May 5th um, from college. And a civil engineer, architect, rocket science, I mean, he's like wicked smart. Um, the other one has like 90,000 followers on TikTok. <laughs> and he has his own spiel that he does, right? And he, he you know, he's going to be fine. He's going to college, but, you know, he could literally go and invent something and be an entrepreneur tomorrow, right? So if you have that creativity in your mind and in your soul, I think, you know, you shouldn't squash it with because, well, what's normal is to do is to go to school and then go get an MBA. I work with a lot of people that if they had any idea, like uh, that's, I have a high school degree, period, right? Uh, but I'm probably making a lot more money than they ever could. When, when you're working with other, great answer, by the way, when, but, but it just made me think of when you're working with others, does that ever come into play? Do people? Very, you know, that's interesting because I thought it would come up more than it does, but no. I mean, listen, people love to brag about themselves, right? 
And so when I have them, I say, look, you're going to take the floor here on the Zoom, and I want you to really brag about yourself for me. Help me understand what major strengths you're bringing to this business venture. That's when they, you know, really kind of then vomit all their degrees and, and everything. And that's great. But very rarely people go in, and what about you, Carrie Ann, right? Because they've already known my story, and probably most of them assume that I have some sort of degree, like my hairdresser, like how many business degrees do you have, right? I was like zero. And she's like, oh my God, I love that. Like you, you probably are smarter than the average college graduate because you've lived that experience and you're forced to learn it, right? Experience with a little bit of passion is pretty dangerous, isn't it? Or passion followed by experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's why I've got my three Ps, purpose, passion, and abundant possibilities. Just imagine like what you could do. Like, I mean, being a successful business owner is like the golden handcuffs. I mean, because once you find success, there is no way you would ever work for anybody ever again. Carrie Ann, I say that all the time. I mean, you do? that comes out of my mouth three times a week. Yesterday, I was talking to someone. I said, I, I can't even fathom the thought of working for someone else. Again. Oh, my God. There's, there's no scenario I can even think of that would allow me to go to work for someone. I know. Talk, be there when they when they want me to be there. I mean, you know, and it doesn't mean that I don't have a, a life that has responsibilities and problems. Yeah. It doesn't mean any of that, of course. But the the... Yeah, you're you're so right. Golden handcuffs, is that what you called it? Golden handcuffs, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like honestly, like, and it's 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 very coincidental. Once we find the perfect match and the people choose their franchise and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. We're so excited. This is like Christmas morning all over again, right? And um, you know, so we coach them about what to expect and next steps and just surround themselves by people who are positive. Um, as they start their business and find the right cultural fit within the franchise family that they joined and, you know, really cling on to those people because you could really, I mean, just incredible leverage of knowledge you can, you know, gain from these people that have gone before you in the same business that you're joining. But, um, you know, they go, man, I wish I knew you were around five years ago, or I wish I would have done this too. And I say, look, you know, I can't take credit for this, but I think it was Winston Churchill that said, there is a reason why your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield, right? It wasn't the right time. You didn't have the right assets built up. You didn't have the ability, you know, you weren't an empty nester then, you know, whatever it was, but there was a reason why it didn't happen. And now you can just move forward. And again, I think that IFA says 65% uh, of people the find success in franchising never ever leave. They just keep selling and buying and multiplying and building a portfolio. I mean, why would you leave if it was great, right? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hey, you just touched on something that I'd written down just a, a, 10 minutes ago. You'd said 50, ages 52 to 61 is kind of the sweet spot, I think you'd said for your. 50, yeah, 52 to 67. 67. Oh gosh, even older. And, and, and you kind of touched on it. The, I wish I had sooner or whatever. Why, why do you think people aren't sooner? Are they afraid? Are they, is it, is it just an asset or a life life cycle situation you think, or, 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 or doesn't it even matter? Haven't even given it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be life cycle, right? I mean, 
you know, they have kids, they have college, they have, you know, whatever, life in general, right? I mean, yep. and I think the older um, spectrum of that, they, they, you know, they have the assets built up. They're getting, unfortunately, or fortunately, they're getting age discriminated by corporate every day. I mean, I'm working with a woman that just turned 59 and she's working with regular traditional headhunters. And she's like, there's no doubt, Carrie Ann. She's like, the reason why they're not hiring me after the second interview is because of the number 59. Interesting. Yeah. And so, and they get shifted and exchanged out of mergers and acquisitions for, you know, every company would like to pay the 24-year-old, the 24-year-old base salary, but wish they had the 59-year-old's knowledge. Interesting. Quick question. You, you mentioned pain points earlier when you, when you meet with people to see if it's worth their time. Uh, when COVID hit, that was, that was my biggest pain point as an educator and a coach. I'm like, I may never have a normal way of life in the classroom or on an athletic field again. Luckily I had Matt in my ear for a decade before that was my pain point <laughs> to start my business, to write my book and, and now to be business partners with Matt. Uh, yeah. do you, and, and as mad as I am at myself, I didn't start it when I was 25, right? I'll be, I'll be 50 later this month. Uh, the experience I had up to this point and all the bad times I've got through makes this, I don't want to say a walk in a park, but gives me a perspective I didn't have. When you meet with clients, does it help the older they are? Like, are they more successful if they're older or doesn't it even matter? Does it just depend on the person? I think it depends on the person, right? Because I mean, I think we've all met like people that are really young and you're like, wow, they're an old soul. Like they're just, they just get it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it depends on the person. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, there are people that I take through this process and midway through the journey, I say, this is not, this is not your time. This, I mean, this is not the right path for you or franchise or business ownership is not right for you. And, you know, they don't like hearing it, right? Nobody wants to hear that they're not a good fit, but, but I, I just say like, one day you'll thank me, I promise. Like, but this, you know, and, and I'll know, like, these people, they they were not going to get approved with any franchise, you know. Um, just oh, not oh. anchored by reality, right? Um, with their skill sets, or you know, oh, I want to make a million dollars in year two. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I, that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, we have to be anchored by reality, right? And we have to set the proper expectations. And then we have to help manage those expectations while we continue to go back to the why. Remember when you said this, this, and this, well, this is how we're going to solve that problem, right? Because fear and anxiety, I call it the butterflies in the belly, are going to bubble up often during this 90-day journey because this is scary stuff. I mean, you know, this is investing a lot of money, um, your time, your future, and, and you know, the biggest thing that people have is, you know, the fear of failure, right? And so we have the conversations of, look, you know, fail, you know, failing at something is a learning lesson. Like if you don't, if you're not failing, you're not growing. And it's always nice to stay in your comfy zone, even though you hate Matt, but nothing grows in your comfy zone, right? So you gotta, you gotta take the leap. And we talk about, 
you know, okay, well, you're not going to die, right? If you fail at this franchise, if you move forward. So if you want to go through the exercise of if I fail, this is how it's going to impact my life. And you can brainstorm all those ideas. But then it's only fair to also brainstorm and say, if I'm a rock star, how is this going to impact my life? It's the only way you can do it, right? Because you can't just focus on the negative. So, so I, uh, who, you talked a little bit about who doesn't fit or some of the qualities that, who, how do you identify people who you think are going to be the rock stars? And are, are there certain qualities you find in individuals you're like, that's, that's it, that kind of thing? Well, they have to have, you know, kind of a base knowledge of how business operates because every business pretty much operates the same way. Would you not agree? Right. Uh, so, oh, I would agree. There's a, there's a certain baseline of what a business is. And if you can understand yeah. that, then it's, it's going to be the same in, met, in most businesses. I, I, I completely agree with that. It doesn't matter if it's a doggy doo-doo pickup business or a maid cleaning business or a salon, right? Every business pretty much operates the same way. So we take their strengths and we apply those strengths and what's in their natural DNA to the right role with the right franchise. And that's really where the magic happens. So we look for people who understand operations, um, you know, depending on the role that they want to play in the business, if they're going to be an investor, they're going to be an owner operator, because you can choose like, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't choose, right? If you were looking at a franchise 20 years ago, you're going to have to be okay cutting the cord from Matt and taking the leap of being all in. That's not the case anymore. I mean, today we have what we call semi-absentee franchises where they're manager ran and you manage a manager that runs the day-to-day -day and you focus on growth, KPIs, uh, probably what you're doing, Matt, with all of your subways, right? Um, and and uh, you still have to hold them accountable because nobody's going to give a crap about your business more than you are. So you still, you know, you got to be a, a leader. You have to have, um, management skill sets. You have to understand how to read a P&L, right? Nobody should be buying a business that doesn't understand the mathematics around profit and loss and unit economics, how much it's going to cost initially, how much it's going to cost ongoing, how long it's going to, the definition of break even, right? People have different definitions of break even, which just blows my mind, right? So, we look for those kinds of basics, business basics, okay. right? And then personality, because not only do we have to match them with the right business model, giving them the right role in the right geographic area that they're interested in within their right spend tolerance that they qualify for, that they can afford, but we also focus on the cultural fit. So I tell all my candidates, look, I'm the franchise matchmaker and we're going to match you up to a number of franchises and you're going to have some blind dates and you're going to have some courtship with these franchise companies and you may or may, may not get to the altar because ultimately this literally is meant to be a profitable business marriage, right? The franchisor and you have to both believe in each other and, you know, you know, I mean, the franchisor is looking for people who are coachable, trainable, and can execute their model, not reinvent the wheel. And they have to believe that this people, these people really care about my success and, you know, 
they're not going to just shut down if they don't sell another franchise because they're living off of their franchise fees and they have support and they have training and they have the data to, to back up because no, this will be an emotional decision that anybody makes, but my job is to make sure that everyone's focusing on the data, right? Because the data, the numbers aren't going to lie. Yeah. That's awesome. Two, two more questions. Do you, do you prefer a, a certain client like experience versus not experience or, or age? No, no. I mean, the willing, I like to work with the willing. <laughs> Good one. Well, well I, I lied. Now two more questions. <laughs> how, how, how do you know right away? Do you get a vibe right away when you're talking to somebody? Yeah. Uh, we have a 15 minute initial discussion. And I'll know within probably 10 of those 15 minutes whether it's going to make sense or not to move forward. And also timing, right? You know, I have an application right here on my desk. These people want to start a business in two years. Too early to start my process because in 90 days, you're going to be making a purchasing decision, whether it's yes or no. So what's going to be available today and in the next three or four months is not going to be available in two years. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point. You need a little more action. Fran yeah, franchisors sell their territory first come, first serve. And you can bet your boots there's about 100 other people looking at the same dirt and maybe the same franchise as you are, if it's a good one, right? Yeah. It, uh, this has been awesome, Carrie. And tell, tell our viewers how everybody can get a hold of you. Well, you can give me a ring. Um, I have a website. It's got all my contact information. You can also fill out just a quick form, um, Calendly link to schedule, grab as your schedule permits, 15 minutes for a free discussion. So the website is franchise hyphen. So that's the dash logic.com. I've got videos. I have blogs. I have case studies, testimonials free downloadable digital assets, you know, everything related, uh, resources, suggested business books to read, um, connections to funding partners, because funny how money comes into the picture when I'm talking to people about these amazing franchise opportunities, right? <laughs> we know the money doesn't grow on trees. So um, I like to add value since I am not a funding expert to connect everyone that I work with, with uh, really top elite, uh, funding organizations that understand all the rules and regulations regarding self-funding um, so that they can, you know, get a funding plan in place should they, you know, get excited about something that we show them so they can move forward. This has been fabulous. You had a quote on the bottom of your bio that, that I think you should add to it. You, you definitely are that person that says life is short, buy the shoes and don't pass up on the adventure, but I think you should add and buy the franchise. And buy a franchise. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Carrie Ann, we thank you for coming on today. Thank you guys so much. It was such a pleasure. I enjoyed spending the time with you guys. You're, you're just awesome. All right. Well, thank thanks you. so much.